The following is a Poppy Chulo Radio original program. Let's go! Get up close and personal with some of your favorite male porn stars on One on One with Poppy Chulo. Created by Poppy Chulo, one-on-one showcases exclusive interviews with the adult industry's most popular male performers. Here's your host, Poppy Chulo. Welcome to One-on-One with Poppy Chulo. Today is Tuesday, October 10th, 2023. Listeners, please welcome international gay adult star on the rise... Braxton Cruz. Welcome to the show, Braxton. Hey, thank you for having me. It is wonderful to have you on. I am so glad that you were interested in being interviewed. Oh, for sure. I'm, I definitely jumped at the chance. Uh, and fun fact, you were my first podcast interview. Well, I always love popping someone's podcast cherry, so this is exciting. Um, and you always remember your first, is, is what I'm told. So uh, I will make this as gentle as possible and no but honestly teasing aside um, I'm really excited to hear that That, that's awesome I I hope that you enjoy the experience and I hope that this is the first of many interviews for you and and certainly if you have a wonderful time the door will be open for more so uh, you can come back and do even more interviews thank you I really appreciate that you're welcome Awesome. So typically, I like to start off these one-on-one interviews by getting some unique stats out of the way. So what's your height and weight? I am 5'10". In pounds, because us Australians go by kilos. So I'm pretty sure I'm 170, 170 pounds. All right, you can give the kilos. Uh, they can Google convert. Yeah, no, I I uh, double checked. I um, okay. I'm one seventy five. Sorry, I'm one seventy five. Awesome. What's your ethnic background? Um, so I was raised in Australia, but my ethnic background is I'm half Ethiopian, half Cuban. Hablas español? No, hablas español. Unfortunately, I was raised by my mom, so she's on the Ethiopian side, but I speak Amharic, which is Ethiopian fluently. That's impressive. What's your zodiac sign? I am an Aries. I am born on April Fool's Day, a day that no one forgets. Yes, clearly. That is spectacular. And how old are you? I am 36. All right, let's get to know the man behind the performer. I guess you already answered this. I was going to ask where are you originally from, but you are from Australia. So that's, so can yeah, you that's please, Yes, so can you please share with the listeners uh, what life was like growing up for you? Life in Australia, look, I have to say that Australia is one of the most like best countries to live in. Um growing up in Australia um I had such a great upbringing, I guess, um, in the fact that when my mom married my stepdad, um, he was British, he took us to live in Adelaide. It's a small um, city in Australia full of beautiful beaches um, and lots of churches, none of them that I attended, but 
pretty much life in Australia is, you know, swimming. We do a lot of swimming. It's like compulsory. So I was always attending swimming classes and going to soccer. Um, you know, I guess the only thing about Australia is that we're so far away from the rest of the world. Um, which, you know, sometimes I guess as a child, you feel a little bit isolated, especially, um, growing up black in Australia, we do not have like a big black population. So I guess you could say that I was, I don't know, maybe raised very anglicized, um, so I didn't really have that much uh, connection to my Ethiopian culture or my Cuban culture. Um, so for me, growing up, I guess, I grew up very Australian. Let's talk about Australia. Like, I know that you just gave sort of like a general of, about you, but mm-hmm. I do have a question, you know, just as someone that's not from there. Like, you know, th- mm-hmm. and also for the listeners, to be quite honest, because... Um, you know, the majority of our listenership is U.S. based, but we do have an international listenership. But but, in, but even for those not based in the U.S. that are just not based in Australia, can you share with the listeners what it's like growing up in Australia? I know that there are a lot of things that can kill you in Australia. <laughs> so uh, in my mind, I'm like, oh, shit, I have to learn what all these snakes and things look like to make sure I don't die. A hundred percent. Like when we talk to foreigners or like, you know, other people from other countries, they say to us, oh my God, like you've got huge spiders there or you've got snakes. And we often are like, no, look, we're in the city. Like if you live in the city, you don't deal with them much. But then sometimes I do recount stories of maybe walking to the gym or like, you know, living at my parents' house. Sometimes they maybe lived in the burbs and in the summertime, We have uh, snakes. If you're living in, like, brand-new, like, developed areas where they're building houses, there's often lots of fields there, so there's quite a lot of snakes. Um, And if you're in the spring, you've got birds that attack. So sometimes I would be walking to the gym looking out for birds that will attack me from up above and snakes that might be on the ground. So walking to the gym sometimes was a little stressful around spring, summertime. But we have the opposite uh, climate to you guys. So at the you know end of the year, so December, January, that's our summertime. So Christmas time in, in Australia, we are often going through heat waves. So we're often at the beach celebrating Christmas, having barbecues. Um, so it's a complete different uh, you know vibe compared to having a white Christmas, for example, in the snow. That is interesting. Uh, everybody here in the U.S. that's basically north of me is probably jealous because yeah. I'm in Miami. So, I mean, there's no so- snow here for the holiday. So that sounds exactly like, like what I do. Exactly. So it's, it's and I mean, I, I want to say that, you know, Australia is the younger, you know, the younger country out of maybe, you know, some of the Western countries like the U.K. and America. So, we still, I don't know, like there's almost like this innocence about Australians as well. Um, you know, everyone calls each other mate. Uh, you know, like it is one of the most like friendliest populated countries. Like everyone is so friendly. Um, you know, the weather is great. The The lifestyle and the way of life in Australia, it's great. Like I recommend anyone visit there. If you like great weather, if you like, you know, good economy, 
um, you know, space as well. We have plenty of space. Um, it is a great place to um, to grow up. Um, you know, my mom had me when she was quite young. She had me when she was 14. Um, and so she was a refugee in, moving to Australia. And so she was given the option of either moving to Australia, the UK or America. And she just said, I don't care which one we move to, just whichever, you know, is the fastest process to go. And Australia was the first one that came along. Um, so, you know, I almost feel like it's a bit of a blessing. And sometimes I do wonder what my life would have been like if I grew up in the US, for example. Now I've got to ask, and this is a cheeky question, Vegemite, thumbs up, thumbs down? Thumbs up. Really? Thumbs up. Oh. Come on, I'm Australian. I grew up on Vegemite. I love okay. it. Okay, I'm just asking. I will <laughs> say this, Tim Tams, delicious. Tim Tams is a hit with pretty much everyone. I don't know anyone, no matter where in the world they are, that doesn't like Tim Tams. Exactly. And listeners, if you don't know what a Tim Tam Slam is... You need to get your life together. <laughs> yes, but I mean, with Vegemite, uh, there is a there's an art to it. There's a trick to it. You know, like I often have my Vegemite with you know with toast with a little bit of Vegemite. So you put the butter down first, and then you put the Vegemite on, and you only put like the smallest amount of Vegemite on there. That way, you're not blasted with all this salt. It's just like when you're having margarine or, or butter uh, that little bit of Vegemite just gives you enough flavor that doesn't, you know, uh, make you thirsty or doesn't make you, like, super sour with all the salt that you have. Okay, interesting. I like yeah. it. I like the tips. So it's, it's a little tiny bit of Vegemite that you need. You definitely don't spread it on like it's Nutella. Yes. Okay, I like it. So we've been talking about Australia. We've been talking about Jew. Let's talk about a little bit more about you growing up. What was young Braxton Cruz like growing young up in Australia? Bra yeah, I was very, very independent. Um, as I said, like my mom had me when she was 14. Um, so for a, quite a big portion of my life, uh, probably up until the age of eight, um, some people don't know this, uh, but my mom was in high school. She repeated some early years of high school uh, when she came to Australia, and she worked two jobs on top of that. So I didn't have a babysitter. I often had to take myself to school, primary school. I had to make my own lunches. Um, I pretty much raised myself. Uh, you know, my mom didn't – like, I didn't have a babysitter, Um so, yeah, like there would be times where me and my mum wouldn't see each other for about two or three days. And this is like in pri like the first year of school, grade one, for example, like we wouldn't see each other. She would maybe, you know, leave some lunch money for me on the table. Um, but, yeah, I would, she would, I would have my own keys to get into the house. She gave me my rules. My mum was very strict. Um, you know, she would be like, no watching TV and... Sometimes I would stay up late and watch TV, but she'd put her hand on the TV. I don't know if you remember back in the, you know, in the 90s when you had the big boxes for the TVs, not the flat screens, mm -hmm. and, and you would put your hand on top of the TV, and if you felt that it was warm, you know that the TV was recently watched. So my mum would do that, and she would come in, even if it's like midnight, come into my room, give me a big smack while I was sleeping. She goes, you've been watching TV. I told you to go to bed at 8 o'clock. 
Um, so I, my mom was very strict, but she also as much, my mom was, I have to say, my mom was an amazing mom. She did the best that she could, um, at such a young age, but yeah, we didn't really see each other much growing up for, you know, probably until, as I said, like from the ages of like four, right up until the age of eight, me and my mom weren't really seeing each other. We were like ships in the night. I was going to school. I was coming home. She was going, she was finishing school, then going to her two jobs and then coming home quite late. So my mom worked really hard for me. Um, so I, which is translated into the Braxton that I've become into my adult life as well, because I remember even on the weekends, um, you know, as a young kid, we didn't have the internet. So I remember waking up in the morning at like 6 a.m. on a Saturday and leaving the house with my mom would be at work. So she wouldn't know, but I would leave the house at 6 a.m. with my friends. We would go to all parts of the city. I don't know how we did it. We would jump on buses, jump on trams, and we wouldn't come home till about eight o'clock that night. So I was always out of the house as a child, um, I guess, is which is probably the reason why I'm so independent and I've lived in so many countries. Like I've moved to Hong Kong. Um, I've lived in London and now I'm living in Montreal. So I've always been out of the house, just doing my own thing. Now let's talk about your sexuality. Growing up, when did you first realize your sexuality? I mean, I realized it as a child. Um, I knew it as a child, but then growing up, I sort of thought things were normal. Like, you know, I would, I would like you know, boys or men when I was a child, like I would see guys on TV. I used to love the Power Rangers. I used to love, you know, the blue Power Ranger, the black Power Ranger. I used to have crushes on them. But then you go to primary school and a little bit like uh, in high school and stuff. And then, you know, there's girls thrown in the mix. So then I started playing around with girls and I had girlfriends and that. But always in the back of my head, I was much more preferring guys. So I think like when I had just finished high school, um, and I moved from the small town that I was living in to Melbourne. That's when I started, you know, exploring my sexuality. You know, I, I started hooking up with guys prim- primarily. I had my first boyfriend, and, yeah, it was all from just after high school. Did you have a moment, like a coming out moment? I feel like nowadays in the year 2023, especially for younger generations than ours, you know, because we're millennials mm-hmm. and, you know, with like Gen Z and now Gen Alpha, I feel like yeah. the coming out moment is almost very passe. But yeah. for millennials, I mean, it's still, it was still a thing, you it know, because times, you know, it was diff- times were different, you know, the world was not as accepting and that sort of thing. So I, I'm curious, you know, did you have a moment, whether it was, you know, to your mom or to friends or even just to yourself? Did you have a moment where you came out? Yeah, I had a moment where I guess I came out to myself first. Um, I was still living with my mom at this point, um, and I was just in my first year of university, and I was like, okay, I'm gay, and I can't really... It's not that I can't, but I didn't really want to hide who I was um, around my mom. Like, I would often have conversations with um, other people, like people that I was maybe hooking up with or whatever like that. Like, I'd be talking on the phone, 
And I just felt really awkward, maybe hiding in my room and that. And I realized that I couldn't do it anymore. And I said, well, I need to come out and uh, I need to have like a strategy because I really thought my mom was A, going to disown me and B, kick me out of the house. So I was like, I need to save my money. So when I was on uni break, I worked my ass off every single day just so I could save money um, and to be able to come out to my mom. Uh, before I did that, I wanted to slowly come out to one of my friends and I came out to my best friend and he had a girlfriend at the time and I don't know about you, but I, I know that definitely with me and I know I've heard it with so many other people. When you're coming out, the first thing you want to or generally will do is you'll say that you're bi. And, um, I remember I was with my best friend at the time, um, and I can't remember, we were like putting in petrol or something like that. And then I said to him, I was like, oh, hey, Andrew, um, I really want to tell you something. And he's like, yeah. And I was like, oh, I think I might be bi. And his first response is, well, do you think I'm hot? (laughs) And I was like, (laughs) no, sorry, you're not my type. And he was like jokingly offended, but I loved that. He didn't even care. Like his main concern was, hey, what do you think of me? Like, am I your type? Do you think I'm cute? And I was like, no. So he really did not care and like he was like my go-to person. Like I felt like, you know, I trusted him with so much. Like I would tell my mom, oh, I'm just going out with Andrew and some of my friends and he knew, his girlfriend knew. So I really felt protected because we had a big friend group and they were all like everyone had boyfriends and girlfriends in that group and Andrew and his girlfriend were sort of like, the people that I could go to, they kept a secret. No one else in our friend group knew. So I felt protected in that moment. And I just slowly was able to tell more and more friends. And I was about 20 at that time. And um, even then, like, I guess I was still living my life as, you know, a bi guy. And I did that for a couple of years. Um, I guess for me, I told my mom, she didn't love the idea but you know she didn't kick me out or anything where i would say that i fully came out where i did not hide it from anyone that i was gay and that i was happy was when i moved out and i think as a gay guy sometimes your parents see you as running away from them by moving out um i know mine did but it was more i needed the space to full to fully be myself so I moved out of home when I was 24 um, and I was living, you know, in one of the gay parts of Melbourne and I was living with my gay best friend. And yeah, I just fully accepted that I was gay. I was no longer saying that I was bi. Um, you know, everyone at work knew, all my friends knew. Um, I told the extended friends as well um, and no one cared. It's nice to hear that you had a good experience overall. Um, I, I like I don't know what sort of like the general vibes are of Australia, you know, in regards to, you know, would people be accepting and that sort of thing. So it's nice to hear that for the most part, you did have a good experience. What I kind of want to touch on is mm-hmm. uh, something that you referenced before I started asking cheeky questions about Australia, the, mm-hmm. is the fact that you grew up in a country, or at least in an area of the country, that, as you referenced, wasn't really diverse. So what was that experience like for you? Because you're, you're growing up 
in um, well you have a you have a mom that's that's not from the country so you're already growing up as an immigrant but you you now have uh, or I should say you're now in a part of the country where there aren't many people or or dare I say any people that look like you yeah like my high school had one other uh you know black child that oh, teenager that went there um and even to this day you can be like unlike being in montreal but you can be in parts of australia even in metropolitan sydney and you might go a day without bumping into see without seeing someone that looks like you it is not unusual to go to a restaurant to go to a bar to go to a club and you be the only black person there wow all right so as a kid, not seeing anybody that looks like you, I mean, I would assume that it feels very isolating. It feels very isolating, but I've had this discussion with a few other, like a few of my friends who were also gay and black and stuff. I think that it adds another layer. Uh, I know that, for example, me being young, gay and black, I had cousins. Um, and they were straight, they would have had less identity issues, I guess, because they were straight, they stuck within the community. When you were gay and you were black, I think you and your community don't accept you and you have a fear of, because homophobia within, Afri within a lot of African cultures is very real. So you remove yourself from them already. So the very people that you should be, I guess, looking to as examples or that you tend to move away from. So that already isolated myself. Um, and so you're already living in a country where you don't see many people like you. The people who look like you, you fear that they will know that you're gay or that they will talk about you being gay and they will judge you being gay. You don't hang out with. So you don't realize this. And this is something that I probably didn't realize until my adult life. When I was younger, if you didn't tell me I was black, I would forget because nothing about me, uh, like there was nothing about me that connected to the African community, the Ethiopian community, you know, the Cuban community. Like I disassociated with myself just out of fear of the homophobia. But then growing up in that country, you don't, it's not like it is today. Like we didn't have Instagram we would, where we would see uh, pages of, you know, hot black guys, for example. There are, de there are pages that are dedicated, um, you know, to hot black guys. So now these pages that I see, they have the hairstyles that I like. You know, when I was younger, I unfortunately wanted, like when I would see hot people or hot guys, what did they have? Straight hair. So a lot of black guys, when they were younger, they would chemically straighten their hair, maybe to have looser curls or to straighten their hair. So a lot of the way that you grow up, you don't realize that you're actually trying to assimilate into the Australian life. Um, and you don't realize how white you are trying to be. Like everything is whitewashed. And I didn't realize that until I moved to London where they have a huge black community. Like I remember my mom came to visit me and she was just like, I didn't know there were so many black people here. And it was only until then that, you know, I met heaps of other gay black guys. 
that I was like, wow, like I, you know, what have I been missing out on my whole life? I'm glad you were able to experience that after you moved. Like I completely hear everything you're saying and I, and I understand why you, uh, it, it was almost like for you, it, it, you know, you, you sort of rationalize not having people that look like you around you because you were in the closet and, you know, mm-hmm just in case anybody found out your secret and that sort of thing. But I do, I am glad that you were able to find a community both there in Australia and then after you moved uh, to the UK. Yeah. I'm so thankful for that. Like I look back at my life and think almost like if I was born, if I was a teenager, like if I was going through those things now, they just almost wouldn't exist for me. You know, because the world has changed so much, not only for gay people, but for black people, I guess, in the last 20 years. And when I say that, I mean, as in we're seeing a lot more, um, you know, a a lot more like pop culture that has been influenced by black culture. So a lot of things that probably weren't as popular back then are super popular now. Like I look at my cousin's growing up and you know some of my younger cousins they do not question they are so proud to be black and that makes me so happy you know they are so proud to be black living in australia um so i I sometimes think to myself wow if i grew up in a different time maybe things would have been different but i also look at some of my straight you know male uh black cousins growing up in australia they like that wasn't really a question to them because they would go to church and hang out with all their you know family and friends there they would play they would be on the Ethiopian soccer team so there was a lot of community that I missed out on simply because I just had so much fear and I know that my experience is a very shared experience to a lot of some of the black guys you know or even the Asian guys not so much the Asian guys the the black guys or the Middle Eastern guys that I have as friends in Australia. We could have like an entire podcast conversation <laughs> about all of this. hundred percent. Yes. Uh, I'm so uh, thankful to you for, for all of the candor and for being so willing and, and, and open to discussing all of this. So um, let's, let's move on through the Braxton Cruz timeline, just a hair. And let's talk about what was going on with your life prior to entering the adult industry? So um, I got my degree in business. Um, I ended up working uh, for a big bank back in Australia. I was a business analyst, a financial data analyst. Uh, And I had some, based on the way I was brought up, like I was brought up like you need to save your money, you need to buy a house. Like everything was very regimented, very business uh, orientated. So I had my plan and my goals, and I would say not just myself, but with a lot of Australians, a lot of us can be complacent because the pay there is very good. Like you can be like, you can be a call center worker, for example, customer service operator, and, you know, live in an inner city apartment and, you know, have that job be able to go out for dinners, be able to go out, just live your life without being broke or anything like that. You can live a very comfortable life there. So I find that a lot of people are complacent uh, in Australia because there is no real struggle. 
Um, and so I found myself in that predicament where I had a job that paid me really well. I achieved everything that I needed to do. Like I bought my house and that, but in my mind, the way I see it is it's not so much that you choose to do porn. I think porn chooses you. And the reason why I say that is because I'm pretty sure that every guy in their life has had that thought and I could do porn. I reckon I could do porn, but not everyone sticks with it or that idea doesn't always linger or be a reoccurring theme in their life for so long. And so at many times of my life, I had been asked, you should do porn or do you do porn? And I kept on saying, well, maybe I should do porn. And um, I actually met someone who is, I'm not going to name their name, but uh, they are a big porn star themselves. Uh, We dated and, you know, I floated the idea. I was like, do you reckon I could do porn? And like, yes, you could definitely do porn. And so I said, okay, I was living in Australia at the time and they were visiting. And I said, if you send my photos off and these companies want me, I will go ahead and I will do porn. I will move and I will do porn because I'm entering the next phase of my life uh, where I just want to do what makes me happy. So my photos were sent. Companies were like, yes, yes, we want him. Get him over here. I ended up moving and I have been here now coming up to almost a year. And I started doing porn at the beginning of the year. And I have been loving it so far. That is quite the story. Very fascinating. Okay, so you have been officially in the porn industry, would you say, since January? So you've been yeah, in the game. Since January. Okay, so I did, yeah, I happy did my 10 month anniversary. Thank you. You're Thank welcome. Thank you very much. Very much heading into your, ver- your, like, your first year anniversary, so that is awesome. All right, okay. Like, you answered so many questions that I have, like, all in that <laughs> answer, so I'm, I'm incredibly appreciative to you. So. Let's talk about your poor name. Let's talk about your performer name. How mm-hmm. did you come up with your with your name, Braxton Cruz? So, well, my original poor name that I wanted was was Braxton Bryant Cruz. Now, the first studio that I ever worked with was Men.com, and they said that's too long. That's too long. Like people aren't going to be able to find you and. But I really wanted it because, as I said, growing up in Australia, one of the things about being the only black guy sometimes is that you're often uh, sexually fetishized. So oftentimes on um, Grindr, people be like, do you have BBC? Do you have BBC? So I was like, okay, let me take that and turn that into something, which is why I came up with Braxton by Cruise because of the initials being BBC. Um, The Braxton part came from, uh, there's a long-running soap show in Australia called Home and Away, and at one point there were these uh, three brothers called the Braxton Brothers. They were all really hot. I had a crush on all of them. And so, like, when I thought of my name, I thought of, okay, like, I I thought of them immediately, and I was like, okay, let me take that. Um, And then I was like, okay, well, I want something that's going to also represent the fact that I'm half, um, you know, Cuban. So I was like, let me take the name. And I was thinking of like, what kind of a name can I have? Like, what sounds cool? Um, So I came up with Cruz. So that's where I came up with Braxton Cruz. Now let's go back in time 10 months ago. 
Mm-hmm. And let's talk about the very first time you were on a porn set. You said it was for men.com? Men.com, yeah. All right, now props to you for <laughs> getting the big leagues uh, for the very first scene. Yes, that's impressive. So what was that experience like for you? Were you nervous, excited, scared? You'd been told all this time you should do it. Are you doing it? Now you're doing it. What was that first set experience like for you? So my first scene was with Malik Delgetti and Trent Trent King. Um, I wasn't nervous at all. I was just like, let's do this. Like, this is what I moved here for. In my mind, I was like, you don't have time for nerves. Like, this is what you moved here for. So you have to do it. Um, I was very attracted to Trent. When I first saw him, I was like, okay, this guy is very good looking. And um, being on a porn set, I didn't know how you had to act. Like, I was like, is everyone professional about this? Like, what is, like, how do people be? So, With me, I was quite, you know, I was fun. I was not nervous. Everyone said that I was doing really well and that, um, you know, that for my first time to be paired with two big guys that, you know, I wasn't intimidated or anything like that. But I was very attracted to Trent. And um, as soon as the cameras weren't, like, rolling, I was flirting with him so much. Um, And so we had, like, a good, uh, like, camaraderie and, like, uh, chemistry from there. So he was, I was definitely glad to be paired up with them too. The first scene was, even though Malik was in it, like he was like a support character in there. The scene was really about me and Trent. I'm glad you had a good first experience. Mm. And once again, like working for men.com and working with like top talent, your very first time, that is incredibly impressive. That means that they must have seen something in you. Yeah, uh, I so the the guy that I was seeing, the porn star that I was seeing, he was relaying to me when I was still because I had moved to Sydney and I was living there when we met. He kept on saying, "Hey, men.com are asking when you're moving, when you're getting here, when you're getting here." So I had an idea already that men had me on their radar for a while and they were quite excited to have me on. I don't know why, like when I got on set, like nothing really phased me. The cameras didn't phase me, like. Yeah, I just, in my mind, I was like, I hope I can come. I hope I can stay hard. And none of that were, was a problem. So, yeah, it was all it was all uphill for me. It was a great experience. That is wonderful to hear. So far in the time that you've been in the industry, you know, you're still fresh and new. But uh, what, what do you enjoy most about starring in porn scenes? Um, I think bringing to life, it's not so much the the storylines of that i think it's you know before you walk into the studio you're obviously who you are but then walking in there you get to be braxton and i think bringing braxton to life excites me um you know i get to play a character uh and i think just being able to portray the chemistry that i have with my partner you know that's really good but also I think what's so important is that I'm one of the only black porn stars in Montreal um, who film. And so for me, it's like I want to come in there and encourage more men of color out of Montreal and America, wherever you are, to actually 
you know, get out there and don't be afraid to do this. So for me, it's like that is what I love about doing porn, about being, I guess, like the face as well, like, you know, and to be able to represent. When you're on set, what turns you on the most and what turns you off the most? Everyone who films porn with me knows that the biggest turn on I have is kissing and I have been so lucky because little all my partners, they have, as soon as they can see that maybe, uh, you know, I mean, we're filming for like five or six hours. So if we're taking a break and my bone is starting to go down literally without even needing to ask me, they just start kissing me and then I'm ready. So for me, kissing is the biggest thing. If like, if you see that I'm kissing a lot in my porn scene, it's a good scene. My biggest turn off. I haven't really had any turn-offs in anything. I guess would probably be, like, faking things. So really being over the top with your moaning and stuff, that really takes me out of my character because then I'm thinking, is the person okay? Am I hurting you? Like, how is this feeling? Are you acting? Like, this should just be real. So I guess that I'd say would be one of my biggest, like, turn-offs. How would you describe your fuck style? How would you describe your style of fucking? Roller coaster. That's how I would describe it. Uh, because I think that the emotion definitely needs to change. I don't like to come in there and drill whether it's in real life or my porn partner, I don't want to drill you for like a good 20 minutes, you know, like I think there's something to be said to having different levels and different vibes, you know, so, you know, I really want to start off slow, you know, and then bring in some passion. And then that is when you can start giving it to them. I like the power struggle. I like when a bottom says, Oh, you think that's, you think that's all I can take. Give me more. So then me giving them more and then, you know, just finishing off with both of us, uh, just having some really good, passionate, hot, sweaty sex. What I want to do right now with you is uh, I want to break a porn scene down with you. (laughs) So in a scene, which Mm -hmm. do you enjoy the most, giving or receiving oral? Mm. I'm going to say giving. In a scene, in regards to rimming, which do you enjoy the most, giving or receiving? I'm going to say receiving. In a scene, what's your favorite sexual position to perform for the camera? And does that mirror your favorite position off camera? Hmm. It doesn't mirror my favorite position, but it feels really good for me. And that is reverse cowgirl. For some reason, like... When I'm filming a scene, reverse cowgirl always just sort of like brings me back in. Like if we're filming all these different positions, the second they suggest reverse cowgirl, I'm happy with that. Well, now I have to ask, what's your favorite position off camera? Uh, Missionary, I would say. Missionary. uh, And then I'm not sure what it's called, but when you pick up your partner and you're pretty much uh, fucking them missionary as well. So standing. Those two, I would say. And, of course, we know how a scene ends with the pop shot, the cum shot, Mm -hmm. the money Mm -hmm. shot. In a scene, (laughs) where's your favorite place to shoot your load? On their face. I love giving a good facial. All right. You you Mm. like to get your Picasso on. Yeah, yeah. Now, 
we've got to talk about this because you are very fresh into the industry as as we've been talking about 10 months in the game you know you've had some really powerhouse scenes coming out you know a lot of them with men but with a couple of other studios as well big name studios and if i'm not mistaken they've all been with you topping correct that's correct all right so i'm sure <laughs> someone out there you know exactly where i'm heading with this i'm sure mm-hmm. someone out there might be curious they're like i've seen braxton cruz he's only been a top will he ever bottom will he ever do verse work is that something you're interested in doing? Is that something you're waiting to do at the right time? Or do you see yourself as sort of like a strict, you know, for lack of a better word, power top? No, I wouldn't say that I'm a power top. I would say that I'm a very comfortable top. And the reason why I'm a very comfortable top is that because, you know, whether it's in scenes or whether it's in my personal life, I am very comfortable with all parts of my body. So you can definitely rim me. You can finger me. Am I willing to take a dick? Not quite yet. Um, I think for me, I would need to definitely get some practice in. Uh, I would need to be, I think for me, like bottoming is such, like I have so much respect for guys that who do bottom. It is such a process. Um, look, I have tried bottoming before in the past with people that I've been in relationships with. It hasn't been for me. However, eating olives when I was eight wasn't for me and I love olives now. So that's not to say that my taste or, you know, my feelings won't change. Um, I have been asked if I would be willing to bottom and I have said not at this point. I have said if I am going to bottom, I am not bottoming for Malik Delgiri. Because I've seen the way he fucks. And, <laughs> that um, would be that a power is, top. That is a power top. And I've said absolutely not that I will not. I don't care how much you pay me. I will not bottom for him. He's even asked me. And I said, look, sorry, but you and I, it's just not going to happen. Um, even if I was an experienced bottom, like I, as I said, like it's not the way I would want to be fucked. Um, so I, for me, definitely I would want to have a say in my scene partner. Uh, because we actually don't always get a say in who we, you know, perform with. You can say no to them, but mm-hmm. you can't actually choose who you want. Um, so if I was to ever, I would want to have the freedom to choose who I want to bottom for, for my first scene. All right. So basically what you're saying is uh, there is hope for anybody out there that has been <laughs> watching Braxton Cruz. And they would like to see him either bottom or be verse. There is hope in the future. In the future, one day. Not quite in the very near future, but one day. Okay. I, yeah. I feel like that's enough hope for the listeners. <laughs> listeners, you do have to remember he's, he's barely getting close to the one-year mark exactly. in his porn career. And, um, you know, if this is going to be, you know hopefully a long lucrative career you know you gotta give him some breathing room exactly i can't just do everything all at once let me perfect let me uh you know build my career as the top first you know do that and then we can go into my verse era there you go 
Now, in the time that you've been in the industry, this is almost like a cheeky question just because, you, you know, you, you don't have an immense amount of scene work just yet, <laughs> but mm -hmm. you do have a lot of scenes out. So mm -hmm. I, I am kind of curious just to see who has sort of stood out throughout this time. Who have been some of your most favorite performers to work with? Uh, not necessarily like a top three list or anything like that. Just names that sort of pop into your mind like, wow, that was a really good scene. Um, you know, we get told who we're going to work with. And sometimes you have expectations and you think that's going to be a really hot scene. Um, or sometimes you don't really know who the person is. And that turns out to be a great scene. Um, I would say like the first scene, like I had a crush on Trent, so that was great. Cody Sayer is probably one of my favorite people in porn. He's, you know, become a good friend of mine. Um, he's the chemistry that we had. Uh, we actually got told off, um, for having too much sex while the camera wasn't running as well. And be before we even started filming. So there was definitely a good chemistry that we had and he's a good friend now. Um, and I would say probably my scene with, um, I'm only going to talk about the scenes that have come out. So then I would also say the cocky boy scene that I did with Dan Evans that came out maybe about a month ago. That was also quite hot too. We had really good chemistry off camera as well. Now it's the big question. And I think this question is like extra interesting because you are so fresh into the game. Mm -hmm. Let's, mm -hmm. let's work on the power of manifestation, Braxton mm -hmm. Cruz. Mm -hmm. Who would you love to do a scene with? Who's on your wish list? Who's, who's, who are people who, or who's an individual or, you know, however many people you want to put out there? You know, let's, let's put the positive mm -hmm. vibes out there and let's make a scene happen. Who would you love to do a scene with? Um, so I have a few. But the thing is, my casting decisions are not great because I always have crushes on tops, so not quite sure how the scene would work. But definitely I would love to do a scene with Colton Reese. I think Colton Reese is very hot, but he's a top. He's bottomed. Uh, he has? Yes. You need to do oh, your okay. research. I need to do my research then. Uh, I would definitely love – I actually – fun fact, I actually met him uh, over Montreal Pride and – um, he was walking, like we were in the club and he walked past me and I was just like, oh, I, I, I follow you. You're so hot. Like, and I never get like this. And he just, he kissed me on the lips and then he kept walking. I was too stunned to speak. Like I didn't say, like, I wish I'd said like, I do porn, like we should collab or something like that. But yeah, he was very nice when I met him briefly. Uh, so Colton Reese, I would say would be one. Um, I would say also Roman Todd. I think he is a really good performer. I think he does everything. He's been around. I remember Roman Todd since his Randy Blue days. So I would say him. Um, my dream cast, whether it's for OnlyFans or whether it's like a studio scene, I would love. Now, I don't know if my research is right, but I would love to have these guys as my cast. I would love to have Sean Xavier, Andre Donovan, Max Connor. Felix Fellington and myself, I think that that would be a very hot cast. I think they've all been around for so long. These are strong, black, powerful men. 
um, who have been exclusives. I don't think that I've seen them do like all of them together in a studio scene ever or in OnlyFans. Like for me, that would be such a hot scene. All right, look at you putting out the names of heavy hitters. I love that. <laughs> a boy can dream. Yes, very nice. Now, as a newbie in the industry, certainly causing some really great waves in a good way and, and creating a lot of buzz for themselves, I'm actually curious to pick your brain about this. Mm-hmm. Who are individuals in the industry that you look up to? Are there any performers or even people behind the scenes that inspire you with what you're trying to do with your slice of the industry? Hmm. Um, I've had many conversations with Cody Sale. Uh, I love what he stands for, and I think we have bonded over this so much as well, him being Asian, me being black, and, you know, being a minority in this industry, um, and wanting to make sure that people of color, uh, you know, performers of color in this industry, not just get uh, visibility, but equal visibility, equal opportunity, um, and equal backing from studios as well. Um, And so I've seen Cody work with a lot of, you know, he works with a lot of Asian guys as well, you know, to give them exposure because he has a huge platform. Um, so that is something that you are going to see from me going forward, or it's, it's always been my goal. Um, I know that the studios here in Montreal know this about me, that um, I'm that is something that I'm fighting for. Um, I don't know if, you know, many people have noticed, but uh, in Montreal, we have a very big gay porn scene here as well. It's very much gay for pay, but uh, they fly in a lot of, porn stars, you know, to do scenes with us over here, with the companies here. And I'm banging on to them saying, you need to fly in some black porn stars. I want you guys to fly in Sean Xavier. I want you to fly in Andre Donovan. Um, So for me, like, I really, I I don't know too many other people. Like, I know Max Connor has talked about this in the past as well. It is something that I really stand for. And it it is not just for black performers. It is for Asian performers. It is for Latino performers, Middle Eastern performers. I really want there to be more of us um, having, you know, stronger backing from studios. That actually leads me right into uh, my next question for you. And that is, uh, I mean, in in sort of like the vein of BIPOC representation and that sort of thing, uh, one thing that I want to ask you about is because, you know, you are fresh in the game, you know, mm-hmm. you have been doing this for about 10 months. Scenes have been mm-hmm. coming out. You are a black man in the porn industry. And I'm sure a lot of the fans are looking at the scenes and they're seeing you being paired up with white men. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering, you know, what type of feedback you're getting. I can almost assume it just because, mm-hmm. you know, I've interviewed other black men in the industry that, you know, they get paired up with white men and they get a lot of uh, messages, especially on social media, either complaining about it, questioning things, uh, making uh, assumptions based off of the work that they're doing. I'm wondering if you're getting some of that. And also just want to say this for the listeners. When a performer is doing studio work, Braxton alluded to this a couple of answers ago. I mean, 
they don't have a choice really as to like who they're paired up with. Uh, you know, the studio does that. You know, the the director, the producer, whomever it is that's in charge of casting, they are the people that pair performers up. You know, uh, there are performers that do have no list and this that are the other people that they don't want to work with. But outside of those factors, you know, performer A is going to be paired with performer B. And that's just how things work. You know, uh, Braxton is new to the industry. He is not going to rush into men and say, I only want to work with these people, or you have to get these people. If not, I'm not doing the scenes. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's just not how shit works. First of all, when Braxton becomes the top-tier star that he will become, then he can make (laughs) demands. But I'm just saying, like, that's not really how things work. Like, the studios pair the performers up. You know, when... Performers finally get the chance to select their partners. That's usually when they're doing collabs, which is on their OnlyFans, their Just for Fans, their original content. So if you're seeing performers, not just Braxton, but he's he's here, so I'll use him as an example. When you see performers like Braxton, you know, being paired up with white men, a lot of times it's not their choice. It's because they're working with Studio X, and Studio X wants to see him paired up with performer B. You know what I'm saying? So I'm just putting that out there. But I want to get your take on it because I'm sure you've been getting questions on social media and your growing fan base, they've probably been like, hey, are you ever going to be paired up with you know another black mm-hmm. man or another BIPOC performer, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah, I'm really glad that you brought that up. Uh, because I actually do get a lot, uh, you know, DMs on my OnlyFans or my Twitter. So when it comes to studio scenes, you you don't get to say, hey, I would, I want to, you can say, hey, I would love to work with that person, but that's not how companies work. Um, and, you know, I will say I am probably one of the only porn stars here in Montreal because I'm with uh, like a, a media agency. I'm one of the only uh, porn stars that asks for the data, the back-end data. I want to know where they are getting their numbers from and everything like that. So there is research that they put into this. You know, when they do their casting, they will see, okay, this bottom is doing really, really well. This bottom is getting a lot of, you know, uh, well, this performer, sorry, is getting a lot of, uh, you know, clicks onto our site. So they will pair me up with them, for example, especially me being someone new whenever you are new in the industry, they will put you with someone who is doing well. Um, And oftentimes it is someone here who is in Montreal. So again, we do not have many uh, men of color that do porn out of Montreal. Um, We had Trent King and me and him have already done a studio scene. When it comes to, oh, and the other thing too is we can request, like I know, for example, Sean Xavier, who He's in America. We have requested to work for each other, work with each other. We have contacted our directors and say, hey, we'd really like to work with each other. That's not what, just because we say it, it's not what the studio has in mind for us. When it comes to the OnlyFans side of things, yes, a lot of the guys that I have done collabs with have been uh, white guys. Um, I have, where I can, because again, I'm in Montreal, uh, we do have, you know, uh, black gay guys. Trust me, I, I'm 
in my private life, I sleep with them, but that doesn't mean that they're content creators and, and that they want to do OnlyFans either. Um, you know, as I said, like, that's not something that I can control. Um, and then on top of that, you don't know what the other, I have been told by someone, oh, why don't you go travel to Toronto? There's, um, you know, there's POC people there. And my response was, okay, great. If you would like to pay for my plane ticket, if you'd like to pay for my hotels, fine, let's do that. You know what I mean? Like hotel accommodation in Toronto is very expensive. I've never seen hotel accommodation that expensive. And even the flights, the flights are so expensive. So you don't know what a, so I just ask anyone that's about to message their, you know, favorite OnlyFans person, you don't know their financial situation. You don't know if that is something that they can just up and do and plan a trip and go, you know, to travel to other cities to do that. Sure, if I lived in Atlanta or if I lived in New York or LA where there was a big population of, you know, black or, you know, Latino uh, content creators, you could say, hey, like, why are you not doing it? You know what I mean? But again, I live in Montreal. There is not that many uh men of color that do content here on the occasions that they have been, they have been traveling through. So trust me, I always look out for it. I always ask my media agency. That is my, that was what I would like to do because as, as we've discussed that with studio scenes, you don't get to choose who your partner is and they're mostly going to be white guys. Um, so I always ask my studio, I was like, Hey, if there's any, if there's any uh, POC performers, porn stars coming to town, please let me know. I will message them and we'll get something happening. In saying all of that, I am planning a trip to America uh, in the next month or so. And that is my goal to very much mirror what I have in my private life. In my private life, I do sleep with men of color often. It's not, it's quite the dichotomy of what I do in porn. It's, you know, very opposite to that. Like I sleep with black guys all the time, but as I said, they just don't do OnlyFans, unfortunately. Um, so that is something to look forward to in the future. You will see that uh, in my OnlyFans. You will see, and not just black guys, you will see many guys very much again, like what I like in my personal life. I like Asian guys. I like Hispanic guys. I like Latino and I like, uh, you know, Middle Eastern guys. So you will see that because that is, I guess, in OnlyFans, you have a little bit more control of who you're getting to do your collabs with. All right, listeners. So uh, I feel like what Braxton Cruz just said is that on his OnlyFans, he will be tasting the rainbow. 100%. All right, you heard it here first. Uh, Now... uh, What I also want to talk to you about in regards to just BIPOC representation, because I really loved what you said. I mean, you're you're trying to do your best in the area that you're in, in 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 the the industry that you're in, where you are, to bring more BIPOC performers to Montreal, so that you know all of these gay studios that are based in Canada, well, and specifically in Montreal can shoot with them. I, I, I got to tip my hat to you. I mean, there are other performers out there. I mean, you also referenced him, Max Connor, etc., that, that are trying to do similar things as well. So it's great that, that as someone so fresh and new in the industry, you have these big ideas that can help 
bring uh, much-needed diversity to some of the major companies, production companies, website studios out there? 100%. And I do think that some of them are trying, um, but I guess they are seeing some pushback. And I guess they only have themselves to blame in some ways because if you are going to build your brand, build your company on one specific you know, kind of guy for, you know, years and years, and then all of a sudden say, you know, oh, we need to, you know, reflect what our viewers may be like or reflect, you know, the the changing uh, demographic, you know, that we're in in 2023, the climate. It's too hard. It's like taking your child to McDonald's every Friday night for like five years and then all of a sudden saying to them, you know what, let's do it every third weekend because you need to start eating healthy your child is going to resist. They're going to be like, we're not used to this. So it's like a double-edged sword. Like these big companies, you've been doing this for years and now you want to introduce it to the fan base. You do have, trust me, there are some people who are very vocal and speak out about it and who love it, but there is a big part of their audience that are just not used to it. That is incredibly true. Yeah, um, that is incredibly true. I, I fully hear exactly what you're saying. Yeah. And I have been surprised. Um, I have to give a shout out to Cocky Boys uh, because, you know, I've been working with them recently and they have been absolutely amazing to work for. Um, They are a company who you would typically look at and you would say, look, they don't have many um, black performers, um, you know, on their roster. I know that Sean Xavier has done a few stuff with them. I've done some stuff with them. I'm going to be continuing to work with them. I will say that coming on set, they are the only company that I have worked for that really listen. They have really listened to me. Uh, you know, when it, even when it comes down to lighting, making sure, you know, with, you know, with men of color, sometimes when we we're under the camera for a while, we start to sweat, you know, the lighting hits us in a particular way. They really make sure that their models look good you know they whether they put setting powder on us or something like that they have always made sure that i have been great so and i definitely see uh, that they are making the steps to move into a good direction and i'm happy um to say that you know even some of the pairings that they've talked about with me they're not going to be the typical pairings like they're not going to just have me with white guys they've you know, they've definitely got some other POC people that they want to have me uh, do my scenes with. So I have to big out, uh, give them a big shout out because I've loved working with them. As someone who's new in the industry, I'm kind of curious to get your take on this as well. Are there any misconceptions or myths about porn performers that you would like to dispel? Um, yeah, uh, that's... <laughs> With a lot of us, I can speak for myself especially, I am not Braxton 24-7. You know, when I'm not Braxton, I am myself. um, And I'm not always, like, in porn star mode. You know, uh, we are everyday people. Uh, So, I mean, if you were to meet me at a party and not know who I was, you would have no idea that I do porn. So... I think sometimes when they when people meet a porn star, they ex, they expect a certain attitude or a, a certain sex appeal, or um, they just expect expect them to be a certain way. They expect them to be a porn star, but I think that they forget that 
we're literally everyday people. I've been in certain scenarios uh, where I've been the porn star in a room and there's been somebody else who's just been an office worker and they've exuded way more sexual energy than I have. Yeah, I feel like sometimes uh, people don't realize uh, that um, performers aren't always sex machines. You know what I'm saying? Like, when they're outside of the set, they are nerds. Yeah. (laughs) They're normal people. We are normal people. Um, I don't even talk about sex to my friends. Like, I just... I mean, I'll occasionally talk about it, but, like, I remember I was speaking to my best friend on the other day and I was telling him, oh, I've got a club to do another night. And he's like, I completely forgot that you do porn. He's like, I completely forgot that you do it because outside of it, like, I don't talk about boys that often. I don't don't really talk about sex because I have a lot of friends who don't do porn. And I think the last thing I would want them to turn around and say to me is oh my god all you do is talk about porn and sex and boys and all of that you know like I really just want them to accept me for who I am as a person you know because when I'm with my friends and when when I'm with my family I'm not a porn star I am just myself I love it and that is very true that is incredibly true I feel like a lot of people you know I mean yes it's a it's a hypersexual industry you know where you know, people, you know, I, I guess have these weird assumptions. But at the end of the day, sex workers are people, uh, you know. And, and uh, once they clock out, you know, they mm-hmm. are they go back to being themselves. Yeah. We literally don't do anything that nobody else does. Everybody has sex. The difference is, is that we do it on camera. So, like, yeah, like that. that is literally the only difference. Like... I know people who do porn and have full-time jobs as well, you know, so it does not make us, you know, any different to you. And we are not, we are not amazing people. We are not like these gods or anything like that. Like, I don't know, like when people talk about fans and all that kind of stuff, like for me, it's like, I just have sex in front of the camera. Like there's no need for me to have fans. Like I get that you might like jerking off to me and things like that, but I'm just, just like you, you know, um, that would be that. There is a, probably another, I don't know if it's like a misconception or something like that. But in terms of like people commenting on things, you know, I'm an avid reader of blogs. I read blogs and things like that. I think sometimes people seem to think that, or they forget that porn stars are people too. And they're not perfect. Um, they will comment things that I guess are not useful you know just like trolling behavior like i recently uh like there was an instagram post and someone said oh i love braxton in this scene but why did his scene partner have really bad skin and it's like that person's a human being again they're they're exactly like you they have the same you know skin issues that anybody else has they they porn stars get eczema porn stars get dermatitis like So that would be the other thing, I guess, to just remember that porn stars are people. 
The other thing that I want to ask you about, once again, I'm sort of prefacing, you know, these questions or some of them with, you know, you are very new to the industry, but I feel like, you know, when you're new, you know, there is a different perspective. If I were to interview you in, let's say, five years and ask you some of these same questions, you know, the perspective might be just a hair different because of your experiences and that sort of thing. So as someone that's fresh in the game... I want to get your take on competition. Is there any competition amongst performers in the industry? Have you felt, you know, like other people are competing with you, or or do you feel like you have to compete for the roles and that sort of thing? I would say, especially being new and especially in Montreal, it is gay guys versus gay for pay. And that wouldn't be so much we don't feel the competition, but we feel the studios often, you know, will compare us. And my argument is, like, you can't compare us. You can't compare us. You will have us who do, you know, the gay performers. We'll do everything. We'll kiss. We'll suck. We'll get sucked. We'll rim. We'll fuck. We'll do everything. But then you have the gay for pay performers who are very prevalent in Montreal, like America has gay for pay uh, performers, but I've noticed that you wouldn't really, besides the stuff that they tweet, you wouldn't know, like you wouldn't know that Roman Todd is like gay for pay, I guess, because he's, well, he's pansexual, but he does everything. We don't have that in Montreal. We have porn stars who literally will not kiss. They will not suck. Yet they will get paid four times, four or five times the amount that us gay performers get. So for me, I feel like I'm competing in a in a race that you know I'm running with one leg at times. So that is the the battle that I guess a lot of us gay porn stars here are fighting because they can do two scenes a month, and at the end of the month they're laughing. They've they've made you know around ten eleven thousand dollars just on the two scenes that they've made. Whereas with us, we literally will have to make that kind of money. We've got to do heaps of scenes. And it's like something that I really want. That's another thing that I'm fighting for, I guess, is like equal equal rights or equal pay for anyone that does porn, you know, because I don't see why I should have to do four times the work to get paid four times less than you. You're right about that. It's interesting that you brought up the i the I don't want to say the idea, but the concept of gay for pay. Because I felt like, as someone sort of on the outside looking into the industry, like I I understand gay for pay was a huge thing. Like maybe even five years ago, I would say you know performers that were like coming in maybe five years ago. I mean there were a lot of performers mm-hmm. that were you know, publicly exclaiming, I'm gay for pay, this, that, or the other, whatever, whatever, whatever. I felt like it seemed as if, and I thought, you know, based off of how the industry has evolved, you know, over the course of just maybe even the past three years with how they view gender and sexuality, especially because of OnlyFans, uh, you know, basically... um, being an avenue for performers to do their own content and do whatever the whatever they want to do, whatever they want to express, you mm. know, with the amount of performers that are just sort of like, you know, experimenting or or um, being able to uh, fully, 
live their authentic lives on OnlyFans, whether it's if they want to do buy scenes or work with trans performers or non-binary performers, et cetera, et cetera. And with the increasing amount of performers that are coming out as either bisexual or pansexual, this, that, or the other, I almost felt like the gay for pay era was like waning out. Like, sure, there are performers still that have been in the game, you know, for many years that probably still consider themselves to be gay for pay, but I, I felt like that was almost vanishing. But it's interesting that you're saying, because you're in the middle of it, you're in the thick of it. Yeah that it's still very prevalent, at least, I would, you know, especially yeah. in the Montreal, the Canadian porn yeah. scene. In the Montreal porn scene, when it comes to studio porn, there are two things. There are a lot more gay for pay, and there are a lot more tops than there are bottoms. Um, and that is because, again, a lot of the gay for pay stars will not bottom here. Uh, to clear this as well, I don't have a problem with gay for pay performance as long as you are putting in the same work that I am putting in. So, like, when you have people like Pierce, Paris, and Roman Todd who do everything, I'm totally fine with that, you know. But when you are a performer who doesn't kiss, doesn't suck, doesn't get rimmed, like, you literally do nothing to your bottom except for let them suck your dick and fuck you, and you're getting paid four times the amount that your scene partner is, I don't really think that that is fair. And, I mean, you could compare some porn stars. You could compare some, like, they might be put with a newbie. Okay, maybe that newbie might not get paid. But I know of, you know, some performers getting paired up together who are on equal status. One of them is gay and is a bottom. The other is a gay for pay porn star and gets paid more. And so for me, I just think that if you what, – what ends up happening is a lot of these guys who are gay performers who do not get paid as much, they eventually get burnt out. They eventually can't really – it's not financially viable for them to continue doing this career. You have a bigger, like, a turnover with gay performers, yet you still have the same gay for pay performers that don't really evolve in what they do. They've been doing this for years. They still haven't really changed. And then eventually what will you do in a market where pretty much all of your performers are gave a pay? You're pretty much going to have two tops in a scene that don't suck each other, that no one wants to bottom. So this is where I'm saying is look after your gay performers because you need them just as much as you need the gay for pay performers. Absolutely. I had no idea about the pay disparity between, you know, actual gay yeah. performers and gay for pay. So I appreciate when I, the education. Yeah. When I first started, I thought I was getting paid less because I was black. And I was like, no, I was told, no, it's not because you're black. It's because you're gay. <laughs> so I was like, okay, interesting. That's fascinating. I had no idea Montreal was getting down like that. Mm -hmm. Yes. All right. So uh, let's refocus the interview and, uh, Let's shift back to you, and mm -hmm. uh, I want to get your answer to this question. This is the big question, a question I'm sure a lot of your fans and supporters might be curious to know the exactness. How much is Braxton Cruz packing? <laughs> um, I've been measured at nine. All right, and it's girthy. It is girthy. I'm told it's quite thick. 
Now, the other thing that I want to talk about is something that we referenced earlier, and that's the pop shot, the cum shot. Mm -hmm. As a newbie in the industry, as someone who's, you know, making a big splash and is getting a lot of attention, I'm curious to get your take on how do you prepare for when you have a scene coming up, when you know, you know, you need the money shot. I mean, that's why, that's why the cum shot is called the money shot. What do you do to prepare to make sure that you, uh, that your, your pop shot pops, for lack of a better word, on camera? Um, not having sex. If I know I've got a scene on Thursday, I will avoid any sexual activity for at least two days, minimum. You know, I don't want to have sex, like, you know, on the Monday or whatever. Like, just also, like, you know, for testing-wise and things like that. Like, I want to make sure, testing-wise, I'm still good. Um, but, you know, I want to make sure that I've got a good amount of cum for my scene. Um, but also, why people have a good... So, before I got into the industry, I was always like, oh, like, I, like my cum shots aren't that great. You know, they're not that good, but... If you've seen in some of my porn shoots that I've done, they've been very good, and I've even been surprised. That's because technically you are edging all day. So if you're doing a scene, if you're shooting a scene for six hours, you're having sex on and off. Like you're literally edging for six hours. So by the time it comes to blow, and you haven't blown for like two or three days, and you've been edging for six hours, that's where you get the you know the good money shot. That's when things turn explosive. Exactly. You referenced something just now that I, I am curious to get your take on. You know, as someone who is new to the industry, mm -hmm. with the testing process and that sort of thing, you know, mm -hmm. I know that the testing, at least here in the U.S., can be a little expensive. You know, it is, mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's more than what a person would think. It, it is manageable, um, but, I mean, it is an out-of-pocket expense that you need to mm -hmm. do to do scenes with the studios and that sort of thing, because there are some studios that request, you know, sometimes it's like a 14-day a test and that mm -hmm. sort of thing. So I want to get your take on, as someone fresh in the game, you know, just the expense of, like, being a part of the industry by, you know, making sure that you are up-to-date with your testing and that sort of thing and that process. Um, so I'm not sure like how the testing like works in America. I know that with all the scenes that I've done here, anytime that I need to get tested, the studio covers that. Oh, okay. Um, so the studio yeah. covers, okay. That's yeah. not always the case here. The majority of yeah. the time the performer covers it. Has so to, yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, it's, and it's about, I mean, it could be close to like $200 for performers. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, when you're, yeah, I mean, in my scenario too, I don't. The healthcare system again is also very different it's, in Australia. Yeah, I was about to say that. In Canada. It's, yeah. Um, so we in Australia, our healthcare is free. So getting an ST, uh, getting an STI test, is generally free unless you go to a private clinic. Here in Montreal, I'm able to go to a free clinic. The only difference between the free clinic and going to somewhere that the testing studio sends you is that when you go to the free clinic here, it takes about a week or so for you to get your results. Um, again, I'm told I'm probably one of the only performers that gets regularly tested. And like, so with me, I sort of guesstimate when I've got a scene coming up. So if I'm, I sometimes will just get it done for myself anyway. So sometimes I'm getting tested three times a month. Like, not that I need to, but 
you know, I just want to make sure, but then also with a studio scene coming up, you know, that third scene might be the one that the studio did, you know? Um, but like, if I know that I've got a studio scene on the 20th, for example, I will go get tested on, you know, the, you know, the 12th, knowing that my results will come in, uh, you know, within a week and, you know, they'll be there in time for my studio scene. If they're not in time for my studio scene, the studio will pay for me to get one done, you know, the day before and it's, you know, the results are within 24 hours. But the thing that I think is a little bit odd, uh, which surprised me is that, and I think it's the same in America, your test results are valid for 14 days. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Not everyone is as responsible as each other. And so not everyone, you know, like they might have, you know, two scenes coming up in within that 14-day period. They might be fine for their first scene, but who knows if they're going out and doing something else on, you know, day four. So for me, I'm just, I know it's expensive, but I just, I'm not sure about the 14-day testing period. I think that is quite a big jump, especially for people in this industry, especially now that we've got OnlyFans and that we've got people who do escorting. I don't think that if you've got two scenes and you're getting tested on your first day and that's lasting you, like you've got a scene on your first day and then another scene on your 13th day, you're not going without sex for, you know, for 11 or 12 days. No, you're right. Yeah. It's interesting hearing the testing process up there versus down here in uh, the U.S. And it's nice to hear that you're on top of things. Uh, are you able to, as a performer, you know, uh, request your fellow performers test? Do you see that before you? Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah, you definitely can request it. But again, like some people, like this is as a sex worker, this is what you do for a living. And like, sure, you might have two scenes within that 14 day period, but like, that's not going to always cover your rent, your bills, all of your expenses and, you know, any fees that you have for an agent and everything like that. So if someone needs to escort on day number four or five, like, you know, that's what they got to do, you know. Um, using condoms, that's fine, but that doesn't cover for oral sex, for example. So for me, I'm just a little bit, you know, unsure of whether the 14-day period is strict enough, especially with all the Twitter wars that I'm seeing online with some of the performers talking about, you know, testing being so important and they don't sleep with people who haven't been tested in this period of time. My argument is like, okay, that's 14 days though. Like we, we we're in the sex industry. Like I, you know, I don't believe that someone's not going to have sex for 11 days between their next scene or something like that. You know, you are right about that. Yes, that is very true. All right. So let's talk about your only fans. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about your original content. What type of content can the listeners expect to see on your OnlyFans? Currently, my content that I have, uh, I have, I like to, with what I can, with what I can do, I like to have a variety. Um, so I definitely have some of my scene partners that I've done scenes with. So I do have some big names on there. I do have some big porn stars on there. Um, I do have some big content creators on there. Like I've got this, um, this one of my good friends, he's from Vancouver, Damien Liu, he's Asian. Um, I've got daddies. I, something that people should know about me is I love daddies. 
So that you definitely will see a lot of daddies on my uh, OnlyFans. Like I've got like Donkey Dick XXL on there. I've got Kane Marco on there. I've got this guy from the UK, Sylvan Gray, on there. Um, what you will be seeing in the future is you will also be seeing a ton more of black guys and Hispanic guys and Asian guys on there as well as daddies and what, what I've already got on there. And you will see some big name porn stars. Like in my Twitter DMs, I have, like I've been talking to Sean Xavier. We want to work together. I've, I've just been speaking with Brock Banks, uh, Michael Boston. So there's definitely a few guys in there to look out for in the future. I love that. Very nice. Certainly some some exciting things to see on your OnlyFans very, very soon. How often do you update it? How often do you post updates on your OnlyFans? So I post, I post three times a week. Like there's photos that I post on there. I post a collab every week. Um, and for people who have their renew on, I post uh, bonus content for them as well. Something that I will be venturing into, which might make people happy, is there will be some more ass play in the future. You definitely see me getting rimmed more. Um, you know, in the future, I might be playing with some toys. You know, a boy needs to get some practice in before he ever does some verse scenes. So I've been getting requests from people like, "Do you bottom?" And I was like, "No, I don't bottom." But you'll definitely see some more ass play going in there. All right, now. Certainly some things to anticipate for the listeners. Now, since we're talking about your body and what you're planning on doing with it, I am curious to ask, uh, what part of your body gets the most attention on social media? My dick, for sure. It's my dick. If I post any ass thing on there, it doesn't, like, everyone says I've got a good ass. I know I've got a good ass, but it just does not get the same attention as my dick does. Followed by that is usually my lips. People will comment on my lips as well. Tell me something quirky about yourself that most people don't know. Something unique about Braxton Cruz. Hmm. <laughs> I spend a lot of time saving things on my phone. I might see a picture. I might see a random video. I might see like a meme. I will save it because I communicate with uh, videos like to friends. Um, like, and I'll be like, okay, great. That'll be great for a scenario. If someone ever says you're a liar, reply with that video, you know, that funny video or something like that. Um, so I'm constantly saving bits on my phone. Um, what else? I, I like to do a lot of things by myself as well. Um, like, whether that is shopping or... I don't know, like I just, I like to do a lot of, even though I'm quite a social person, like I usually like to do things by myself. Um, what else is quirky about, oh, okay, this is weird. Even if it comes out of the dishwasher, even if it's washed by myself, I will rewash something before I use it. Um, and another quirky thing is I, I hate the smell of food. I just do not like the smell of food. Um, I will gag, especially if I smell food where it's not meant to be. So if I'm walking on the street and all of a sudden I smell food, I'll almost gag. 
Um, if I'm, you know, if I smell food on someone's clothes, like I just, I can't stand the smell of food. I don't know why. The only times I can tolerate the smell of food is if I'm about to eat it or if I'm at a restaurant. Otherwise, the smell of food just catches me off guard and it makes me feel ill. You know, you had me up to that. <laughs> I was like, everything sounds interesting. And then you say, I gag at the smell of food when it's yeah. not where it's supposed to be. Yeah. I love food. Don't get me wrong. I love food. But if I, like, if you've been cooking and I smell it on you and I hug you, I'm like, mm. like I can't, I can't deal with the smell of food. I think it just comes down to like, trauma that I had as a child, um, like with my mom's spicy Ethiopian food, like that would get on your clothes. And I remember like being bullied uh, in primary school. Oh. Like, Ew, you smell like food. You smell like food. So now like I hate it so much that, you know, growing up and moving out of home, like literally all my clothes, are, like, all my clothes are in plastic. Like I make sure that the doors are open, like nothing smells like food. Oh, childhood trauma. <laughs> you need to you need to you need to go talk to somebody. <laughs> I'm just saying, but, oh my gosh, I completely like when we were talking about your life, Ethiopian food. Oh my mm-hmm. god. It's so good. Like do you know it's, how to throw down? Yeah, I can cook Ethiopian food, but there's not many spices where I live, so I haven't been able to cook it. Um, um, my family live in you need Australia. to venture down the Amazon.com. I, you can buy spices, Ethiopian spices on Amazon.com. I did not know that. I would assume that you could. You could find anything well, on Amazon. Tr- I, That's well, where I'm I get gonna, my gochujang. Okay, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and find some then. Then I will be able to have it because the next time I will be having Ethiopian food will be when I go home for Christmas uh, this year. And I have not had Ethiopian food for over a year. I had Ethiopian food one time last year when I was here on holiday and I hated it. It just didn't taste the same. I don't know what spices they were using, but yeah, like I quite like, yeah, I really do miss Ethiopian food. I am planning a trip to DC at some point and I heard that there is a very big population of Ethiopian people there and there's a lot of Ethiopian restaurants. So that will be somewhere that I'm very interested in going. Awesome. Describe yourself in 10 words or less. Okay. Decisive, confident, kind, strong, independent, ambitious, caring, and spontaneous. As we start wrapping things up, I have this list of pop culture-oriented questions that are designed to allow the listeners and your fans to get to know some of your favorites. The first question in this set is, what are five of your most favorite television shows? Oh, um, oh, wow, you put me on the spot. Uh, oh, my God. Uh, it's gone out of my head now. Squid Games would be one. Um, oh my God, what was the name of that TV show? Uh, it was on Netflix, no, Behind Her Eyes, uh, Watchmen, uh, Lovecraft Country, uh, Misfits, 
Yeah, that's five. Fantastic choices, but Lovecraft Country. Spectacular. I just have to say. I love that Fun you mentioned fact, that one. My childhood friend is in that movie. That movie, that TV show. Um, Abby Lee Kershaw. The blonde one. Oh! Yeah. Good family friend. We grew up together. Really? Yeah. That is awesome. She was so good. She was, yeah. Yeah, she's she, an Aussie girl. Mm. Yeah, she tore that role up. Yeah, she did. Yes, very nice. Okay, that I love that fun little fact. Yes. Oh, she was spectacular. She was so good. Mm-mm. She really was. She yeah. she uh, is a model. She she found fame at quite a young age. Um, she was like on the street one day and got casted as a model and she became a Victoria's Secret model. And yeah, so she hasn't been living in Australia for a long time. She's been successful for quite a long time. And I got onto Love Cuff Country because my mom said, oh, your friend Abby's in it. And so I watched it and yeah, it was great. Yes, I agree. It, gone too soon, but, but still mm. a very rewatchable yeah, you know, a spectacularly done series. All right, so next question: Who are four of your all-time favorite music artists? <sighs> so, Magic Jordan. Uh, they're a duo. Um, this is corny. People always laugh, but I love Sierra even still to this day. She's like my absolute R&B pop queen. There's nothing to laugh at, <laughs> loving Sierra. I, 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 oh, everyone in Australia is like, who? Does she, still have, does she still do music? And then they hang out with me and they end up loving her because I yeah. have like a huge Sierra uh, catalog. Um, so Magic Jordan, Sierra. Um, everyone still does the one-two step. Exactly. Everyone's exactly. body is a party. <laughs> exactly. Who else? I have to check out my uh, Spotify of who I've got on there. I would say growing up, I listened to a lot of Michael Jackson, and I still listen to him every now and then. So he would be um, in my top as well. Um, just trying to think. Who else I listen to? I listen to an artist called B. Cartier, um, and I listen to him like – He's probably one of my most played, and he has been for a long time now. Um, just trying to think. I used to, I used to really listen to Blink One Eighty Two when I was younger, as well, and I still listen to them every now and then. Um, so yeah, I would say them. So I think it's a sort of diverse catalog that I've got. What are three of your most favorite films? Nocturnal Animals, uh, Boogie Nights, and oh my God, the one with Hugh Jackman and Jake Gyllenhaal, uh, Prisoners. What are two foods you can't live without? Chicken. I love chicken no matter how, how it's done. I, I, I eat chicken every day. Um, would you say peanut butter is the food or is that more a condiment? That's up to you. It's your answer. 
then I'm going to say peanut butter. I need to, like, that is an addiction for me. All right, now, crunchy, smooth, or both? Crunchy. Always crunchy. And what is one of your guilty pleasures? Bubble tea. Nice. All right, a particular flavor? Oreo or mango. Like, when I'm feeling like, you know, I've got a craving, but I don't want to be too bad, I'll go for, like, the mango tea. And when I'm like, nah, fuck it, you deserve it, you've had a whole day of shooting, I get the Oreo flavor. Now, do you, do you get the actual boba in there, or do you like, like, the popping boba? Like you get, do you get I, the tapioca or the popping boba? The popping. All right, now. What are you currently binging? Are you currently binge-watching anything on any of the streaming platforms? Yes. Uh, so I was binge-watching two things. I was on Netflix. I was binge-watching the Beckham miniseries. Okay, yes. And on the Disney Plus, I was binge-watching the Ashley Madison saga. Oh, okay. Yes, 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 yes. Mm. What's next for Braxton Cruz? What's coming up that the listeners should expect? What can you tease for them that's going to be released soon? Um, so I just got back from the UK. I was filming a reality TV show there that is going to be due out next year. Um, it's like a very uh, like a challenge orientated one. Um, I was myself. I went in as Braxton Cruz. Uh, that was a lot of fun. So that will be out next year. Uh, hoping to do some studio scenes in America as well before the end of this year. Um, and also doing a lot of collabs based in America um, with a lot of the U.S. content creators. Um, and I will be going home at, at the end of this year as well. And there's some Australian content creators that I'll be collaborating with. Uh, because I have to say, Aussie guys are probably one of the hottest in the world. Um, and there's a lot of them that are actually popping up in the uh, gay porn scene in America at the moment as well. How can your fans reach you? Where can they find you on the web, social media, all of the important links for Braxton yeah. Cruz? So you can find me on Twitter. So I'm just Braxton, B-R-A-X-X-T-O-N, Cruz, C-R-U-Z. And that's my Twitter handle. Um, my OnlyFans is also the same. So it's B-R-A-X-X-T-O-N, then C-R-U-Z. Um, you can find me in either one of those. I'm also on Instagram. I'm not huge on Instagram, but I'm there as Braxton Cruz Official. I love that you say Zed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we, we have our funny ways uh, of saying letters and different words and things. Like, we also abbreviate a lot of words, like we don't even call it McDonald's. We actually call it Maccas. Oh, all right. Yeah, they've even changed some of the uh, storefront signage to say Maccas. That's fascinating. I like yeah. it. Like we don't say afternoon, we say Arvo. So that's just Aussie culture. I like it. Very nice. All right, Braxton Cruz. Well, this does bring us to the end of our interview. Is there anything that you would like to say to your fans and supporters that are tuning in? Uh, yeah, I would like to say a big thank you to all my fans and supporters, to all the porn blogs as well who have been amazing. Um, I know straight-up gay porn have been so amazing to me as well. 
um, to the fans, like, thank you so much for your support. I can't wait for you to see what else I've got coming up. And I really just want to be like a beacon of light. I really want to be a good representation for POC people, uh, you know, in all areas of the sex industry. Um, and yeah, again, thank you so much for your support. Thank you for having me on your podcast as well. Of course. Thank you so much for agreeing to and wanting to be interviewed. And, and also thank you so much for, for trusting me and my podcast for being like the home of your very first ever podcast interview. Uh, that, that was incredibly kind of you. And I'm, I'm so glad you were interested in being interviewed. You were fantastic. Thank you. And thank you for your support as well. It's meant a lot. It's been great chatting to you in the lead up and just, yeah, you've been really good to me. So thank you. You're welcome. And uh, as I said to you, the door is open for more whenever you want to come back and update the listeners on what you've been up to. It would be really awesome, especially because we're doing this so early on into your career to be able to like follow along with your career, you know, on the podcast with, you know, interesting interviews about what you've been up to. Yeah, a hundred percent. And if anyone ever wants to reach out to me, you can reach out to me I'm on my platforms. I'm happy to answer any questions that you may have. Um, you know, if you've got questions about the industry, how to get in the industry, just anything like that, I'm always approachable. Fantastic. I love the sound of that as well. And so, Braxton, I, I definitely want to thank you so much for the interview. I'm, I'm so glad we were able to do this. Thank you. Thank you so much again for having me. I was glad to show myself and, you know, talk about myself to the listeners and to yourself. Very nice, and you're welcome, of course. And uh, and listeners, I also want to thank you for tuning into One on One with Papi Chulo. Before we go, here's our announcer to remind you on how you can interact with us. Thank you for downloading One on One with Papi Chulo. Here are a few helpful reminders. For more information on One on One with Papi Chulo, visit poppychularadio.com slash afterdark. Follow Poppy Chulo on Twitter at twitter.com slash poppychulo one on one. That's at poppychulo. The number one. The word on. And the number one. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash poppychularadio. Follow us on Twitter, twitter.com slash poppychularadio. Do you have any questions, suggestions, comments, or concerns? Email us via contact at poppychularadio.com. Are you interested in joining the Poppy Chula Radio team as an on-air personality? Email talent at poppychularadio.com. Binge listen to your favorite Poppy Chula Radio programs by visiting poppychularadio.com slash archives. Back to you, Poppy Chulo. Thanks, announcer. And with that... Braxton Cruz and I would like to wish you and yours a wonderful night. Good night, listeners. Good night, listeners. Let's go. Thanks for listening to One on One with Poppy Chulo. To contact us with any of your questions, suggestions, comments, or concerns, email us at contact at poppychuloradio.com. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter by going to twitter.com slash poppychuloradio. And like us on Facebook by visiting facebook.com slash poppychuloradio. 
Be sure to listen again next week as we continue to showcase exclusive interviews with some of the adult industry's most popular male performers. This is Ben Patrick Johnson saying good night and have a wonderful week.